Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Okay, strength and courage, we're wrapping up the series. I'm just going to read to you from the Bible, which is a good place to start. We're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. It's a a passage that I'm sure you all know really well, um, and we're going to explore it today, and hopefully we're going to get some some excellent truths uh, from it as we unpack it. So, uh, chapter 14 from verse uh, 22. Let's have a look at this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I just want to talk to you uh, just initially about some movies that I've seen recently. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a DVD with my son Gideon. Um, he turned 15 uh, earlier this year, and there's a whole great raft of 15 videos that I've been waiting to watch with him. <laughs> movies that I've loved ever since, you know, since I was 15 or, and beyond. Obviously, I wouldn't watch them before. But he turned 15, and, and I bought him some DVDs for his birthday and that we can watch together. And uh, it was a film that I saw earlier this year at the cinema. It's a film called Whiplash. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It didn't get... Uh, much of a showing, but um, it's a brilliant film, and because I, I lecture in music and I lecture drummers, and this film is about uh, a drummer uh, going to a, a prestigious school in New York, and, and particularly about his relationship with this horrible, kind of mean, nasty teacher. I'm not like that, by the way, um, but uh, this film is, is really, really good, and, it, and it's got some great music in it, um, but the ending of this film, I'm not going to give anything away, but it, it's really open. It doesn't give you a nice bow tied up and go, you know, and they all lived happily ever after. It just leaves it open. And we got to the end of the film and Gideon said, oh, is that it? <laughs> is that it? And you could see the sense of disappointment as he'd watched, he'd gone through this marathon of this, this great film that I'd obviously built up and then this ending just didn't really do it for him. And then there's three other films I've watched at the cinema over the last month, actually. I don't normally go that often, but um, there were three films I wanted to see. The first one was Jurassic World. Has anybody seen Jurassic World? 
Yeah, a few of you. Again, it's a great movie, and you've got dinosaurs in this film bringing, as you would imagine, you've got uh, death and mayhem and destruction uh, to an island off the coast of Costa Rica. Uh, and then there's another film that I saw, uh, San Andreas. Has anybody seen San Andreas? Yeah, Anna, you go to the cinema far too much. Um, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Um, and in San Andreas, you've got an earthquake bringing death and mayhem and destruction to the west coast of America. And then this other film I saw, Terminator Genesis. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, good. And in this film, you've got robots and computers bringing death and mayhem and destruction pretty much to the whole world. Um, so in all these films, there's a kind of a common theme. There's lots and lots of destruction and mayhem and death. Um, but there's also a common theme about the ending. The ending of all these films, they kind of all brought it down. And they did wrap it up nicely. And uh, I think particularly one of the films, um, there's this family that you've been following through this death and mayhem and destruction. And, and one of the family says to another member of the family, so what are you going to do now? What, what are we going to do now? And he's looking out across the whole of, I think, San Francisco, which has been reduced to a pile of rubble. And he says, well, we're going to rebuild. And it kind of leaves it on a positive note. And I realised that I was leaving the cinema feeling quite good, having watched, you know, in every case, two hours of death and mayhem and destruction. Because the ending was so positive, it left you feeling, feeling positive. And the ending is crucial to how a story is received and remembered. And today's passage that we just read sees Peter actually right in the middle of his life, actually in the, in the middle of a transition point in his life. Those three years he spent with Jesus were this transition uh, point of Peter's life where he was changing from a, a gruff, outspoken, hot-tempered fisherman, somebody who's got foot-in-mouth disease a lot. You know, he, he really did say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing quite often, we read. But it, it, it's a transition to a, to a bold, humble obedient servant of, of Jesus who was willing to, to lay down his life for what he believed and, and who, the person we see at Pentecost who's kind of preaching to the crowd. Um, and, and so the ending of Peter's life, we, we can judge what we read today through the lens of what we know about the second half of his life and the change that happened from this change from a lowly fisherman to a fisher of men who shaped and changed the world forever. And we can look at today's passage and we can, we can have an understanding of the man that Peter is becoming. And, and the event that we read about is actually just a stepping stone uh, for him fulfilling God's purposes and his plans. So my, the title for today's message is uh, Strength and Courage to Risk Failure. Having the strength and courage to risk failure. And I want to I start with a question. Where's Jesus? in the storm. And for that we're going to start off looking at back to verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. Actually, there's something quite interesting there. It says Jesus made the disciples. And I, and I thought, well, that's an interesting choice of words. And actually the word made there is actually means made. He compelled them. He was pretty insistent that they should get into the boat and go on ahead of him. And I thought to myself, well, why? Why was he so insistent that disciples um, did this, get into the boat and go across, uh, go across the lake. And this event of um, Jesus, and, and, uh, Jesus walking on the water 
is not just in Matthew's Gospel. We read the same story, the same event in Mark's Gospel and John's Gospel as well. And if we kind of look at all three Gospels, we can piece extra bits of information and try and get a, 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 an understanding of the, the whole picture. Um, we know that this event comes straight after the feeding of the 5,000. And John, in his Gospel, describing the same event, says uh, at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 passage, he says the people wanted to make him king. They were so impressed with what he'd done. They wanted to make Jesus king. And, and I think this is, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm uh, kind of making assumptions, but I think this is probably what Jesus was a bit worried about. You know, he said, well, this can't happen. This is not the right time for me. And so he, he needs to send his disciples away. And he does that. He quickly gets them into going about, okay, it's time for you to go. And then he says he dismisses the crowd. After that, he, he sends the crowd away. And then what does he do? Well, he goes on a mountainside to pray. Now, often we use prayer at those times where we're having, you know, difficult situations. Not, you know, when we're in the times of successes, you know, those don't seem to be the time to take it to God. But Jesus, understanding what he needs at this moment, he thinks, oh, this, this, you know, he's had this fantastic success with, with the crowd and, you know, he's got all these followers. Now is the time for him to go on the mountainside by himself and bring it to the Father, and pray. And I just think he's, he's keeping his connection, keeping his humility um, at, at, the, at this time. So he goes uh, and prays um, uh, by himself up on a mountainside. So the disciples then are made to go in the boat, and they're obedient to Jesus. They do exactly what Jesus uh, tells them to do, and immediately they find themselves in the center of a storm. What's that about? Well, I guess... Uh, the important thing is there, obedience is no guarantee of being spared adversity. Mm, obedience is no guarantee of having a, 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 a scot-free life, you're living in a comfortable place. It just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. And we read in verse 23, um, something else that's interesting. It says, um, later that night, he was there alone. That's, uh, come on. Later that night... He was there alone. He's talking about Jesus. He's up on the mountain. He sent the disciples away. He says, later that night, he was there alone. And in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus saw the disciples. He could see them from where he was sat on the mountain or standing on the mountain. He could see the disciples out on the lake. He says they were straining at the oars because of the great wind. And so later that night, Jesus sees the disciples. And then verse 25, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. And I realise there's a gap there. There's a later that night, then there's a gap, and then there's shortly before dawn. And in that gap, what are the, you know, what are the disciples facing? Well, they're in the middle of this storm on the lake. Yeah. And this period where I'm sure they're thinking, well, where's Jesus now? Jesus commanded us. He made us get into the boat. He made us. He, he told us to do this. We were obedient to him. And now we're stuck in this, this uh, difficult situation. And, and maybe you're in that gap right now. And Mark asked earlier, you know, who's had, who's had a terrible week? Who's had a bad week? You might feel like you're in that gap, that gap between later that night or that, that time when you've been commanded or you feel like you're in, you've, you've been told to do something, and yet you're right in the middle of a storm. And uh, a storm that you're straining against and circumstances are threatening to, to capsize uh, your life. And your head tells you that Jesus must be with you because he brought you to this place where you're obedient to his call and yet circumstances 
feel like they can overwhelm you at any moment. And uh, that's a difficult place to be in. And the disciples were in this place right now. They were in this gap between later that night and shortly before dawn. And there's a song that we sometimes sing uh, here at church, uh, a song called Still. And in the, in the chorus of this song, it says, When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. And it's a, it's a lovely concept. But you and I know that's actually not always true. We don't, we're not always soaring above the storm. Often, we're right in the storm. And sometimes we do. Yeah, it's definitely a truth in that sometimes Jesus does lift us out of that place. But often we do have to go through that storm. Um, and there's another song that we sing, um, which has got some great words, a song called Cornerstone. Um, I'm just going to put the words up. Uh, when darkness seems to hide his face. That's what the disciples were feeling like. They were in nighttime. They didn't know where Jesus was. When darkness, notice it says, seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Within the veil there is just referring to, I guess, the holy of holies, the presence of God. My anchor holds in God's presence. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. So sometimes we are going through the storm, but we can rest on his unchanging grace and rest in the knowledge that through the storm, he's still God. He's still God. He's still Lord of all. So where is Jesus in the storm? You can bet he's watching us. He's got his eye on us. He's with us. His presence is there, even if darkness sometimes seems to hide his face. And he's watching us grow and get stretched and develop and become mature, becoming authentic disciples. What does it say in James? Um, he said, consider it all joy, pure joy when you face those trials because you know that the testing of your faith develops, perseverance, develops you and, and you become uh, fully mature. That's what he's talking about. So that's the first question. Where's Jesus in the storm? He's watching over you. He's yeah. watching you. Second question, when will Jesus reveal himself? When will he reveal his presence? <coughs> so verse 25, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And again, at the same point in Mark's gospel, again, we're going to go to a, a different telling of the same event. Uh, he says something again, it's really interesting. He says, Jesus was about to pass by them. Yeah. And again, I looked at that and thought, well, really? What is that about? You know, Jesus is about to, to pass by them in the boat. He sees them struggling and he's about to pass by them. And so I did a little bit of a word study and that, that word pass by uh, is actually from the Greek word, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, uh, parachomai, maybe. And, and this word occurs in the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, a few times, uh, and a couple of times particularly. Um, we know when, when um, God reveals himself to Moses, he, he puts Moses in the cleft of a rock while his glory, he says, passes by. And the same with Elijah. He tells Elijah to stand on the mountain, uh, for the Lord is about to pass by. And so when he's talking about pass by, it's not like passing by and ignoring. It's actually, what he's saying is, it's actually revealing himself. Yeah, and actually, this, this word parachoma, it actually is revealing himself. And also, at the same time, giving a call, bringing a call to a life. So for Moses, the call was uh, to go to Egypt. And you can bet, we know that Moses was, was full of fear about going before Pharaoh. And we know that Elijah was full of fear uh, of Jezebel. And, and so what the God did was he passed by them. This was in order to give them courage 
he, he, he brought his, his presence to them at the same time as giving them, giving them a call, um, and a call that he knew they were going to be afraid of. So here on the Sea of Galilee, once again, the Lord is about to, to pass by. He's about to reveal his presence and power. And also, in a way, he's about to give a call. And I think there is a sense in BCC at the moment, and I know I've been talking to a, to a few people, I had a, some great chats at the wedding yesterday, and over previous weeks, and through earthquake and through the community day last week, there's a sense in BCC that actually God is passing by at the moment. There's a, and I, when I say that, I mean in revealing himself. Yeah. present. There's a new thing going on here at BCC. Yeah. And, and it's up to us to, to respond to that. I really feel that there's a call on BCC at this time. And we have a choice. As Norman said this morning, we can spend time talking about it, or we can, spend, we can actually put that, that faith, we can build our faith and, and take action. Um, the kingdom of God is not in talk, but in power. So it's no accident that this series has come about at this time, because whenever there's a call, there's always fear involved. Always. And always strength and courage are needed. Always, whenever there's a call. God never calls us to a comfortable place, to a place where you just go, oh, you can relax and chill out and have, have a nice life. That's not what God's about. That's not what God's calls are about. Yeah. We're preparing ourselves for God's call for this church. And I think that we're going to need an unprecedented amount of courage. And that's why God placed this series at this time in the church. So my third question then is, have we got the courage to ask for God's call, to find out what God's call is for us. So the disciples, they're crying out in fear. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. I'm not going to dwell on it. That. It is I is just the same words as I am, the same thing he said to Moses. Uh, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And so we've got 12 disciples in the boat they've been in the storm they've all had a rough night they're all tired they're all worn out actually they're all scared witless when they see Jesus they think he's a ghost what would you think what would you think if you were there and Jesus tells them not to be afraid to have courage and again this uh, was interesting to me I looked at those words don't be afraid have courage when actually those two things go hand in hand if you're not afraid you don't actually need courage yeah. if you're not afraid. So what does he mean by saying, don't be afraid? Uh, well, again, I, I thought, well, let me look up the, kind of the Greek word. And, um, and I, again, I don't like to spend too long in kind of Greek theology. But the word there for afraid is the word uh, phobio, from which we get the word phobia, which is a, a crippling, irrational fear that stops you, um, stops you achieving. It stops you doing what you need to do. And he's saying, you know, you've got fear. You need courage because you don't want to let the fear stop you living out the life you need to live. That's what he's talking about. And we don't know how 11 of the disciples reacted to it. But we know that one of them is about to respond to the call of God's presence. And what does Peter say? Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if if it is you, command me to come. And this is a really important verse. You see, this, this event and this message, the reason this is in the Bible, is not just a, 
a call to take risks. It's not just about uh, living a life or always you know, taking, taking risks. That's not what it's about. That's kind of involved. Any, any fool can take risks and end up in a heap of trouble. I know because I am that fool. I've done it many, many times, taken, um, taken risks that I shouldn't have taken and ended up in trouble. I remember once uh, walking along the beach in Spain um, just by myself and I had, you know, dressed in flip-flops and shorts and there was this cliff there and I thought oh, I'll have a go at climbing that cliff. Um, I was, when I was touring I was younger and I started to climb this cliff uh, in Spain and you know how it is and suddenly I'm finding it's far easier to get up a cliff <laughs> than it is to come down a cliff, yeah, if you've ever done any, any rock climbing and I was happily climbing up in my flip-flops and, and suddenly I find myself about uh, probably 100 yards away from the beach on this cliff over the water, over rocks, and stuck. And you know, this was a, this was a risk taking that wasn't sensible and not good. And uh, I'm not encouraging you to take risks like that. And I don't think that's what this passage is about. Um, I've also told you about various DIY projects that I've done in the past <laughs> where I've taken risks that perhaps I shouldn't have taken um, and ended up in a heap of trouble. Um, it's not about taking risks. It's about obedience. That's what this passage is about. It's about obedience. It's about authentic discipleship. We do need courage. And that does sometimes mean taking risk. But we do need deep wisdom and we need discernment um, to understand and follow God's call wisely. Okay? It's not just about throwing ourselves into everything, every whim and every uh, idea that comes into our head. We need to be seeking God and follow him uh, in obedience. So I want you to put yourself right now in, in Peter's shoes. Okay, he's, he's standing in the boat or sitting in the boat. He sees Jesus. He sees uh, Jesus coming to him. I want you to picture the storm that's raging about them, the waves, the high waves. They're struggling against the tide. They've got the wind blowing. You've got the pitching of the boat rocking backwards and forwards. You've got the noise of the sea against the boat and the creaking of the boat. You've got the... Um, You've got the tiredness. They've been doing this all night long. And, um, and Peter's looking out. When I was uh, six, my nan gave me this Bible. Um, Good News Bible. It's a great Bible for kids. And the great thing about it is it's got pictures in it. Um, and as a child, I used to love reading the Bible and looking at the pictures. But I went to a church where we had kind of three-hour services. And, and sometimes those sermons were long and boring. Not like you guys have it. Um, and, and once, and I'm not proud of this, I remember in one uh, sermon going through my Bible and redrawing some of the pictures in there. And particularly there was this, this, this uh, story, this passage um, of Jesus walking on the water. And I redrew the story. And I remembered it as I was preparing for this. And I decided to show you the picture I drew. Um, of the disciples in the boat. And you can see there's a shark there on the, <laughs> on the water. This was probably about the time that Jaws was, in fact it would have been about the time that Jaws was out, and so sharks were everywhere. Um, now of course there wasn't a shark in the Sea of Galilee coming towards Jesus, but actually I was, I was uh, I'm gonna take that off just because you're gonna be looking at it. Um, but actually, I. I'm probably going to uh, uh, make this more profound than it needs to be, but there was danger outside of the boat. And Peter sat in the boat, and he's looking outside of the boat. And there is absolute danger in, 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 in what he's looking at. Um, 
There wasn't sharks. <laughs> but what there was was there was a measure of security inside the boat that he wouldn't have outside of the boat. And it's possible that the other 11 disciples also felt an impulse to go to, to, to Jesus, but they didn't act on it. So what would you choose? You're sat in a, a boat that's floating, albeit in a storm, and Jesus tells you to come. Come to a place of danger. Move out of, out of the comfort and security of a boat. And if you get out of the boat, there is every chance that you're going to sink. If you don't get out of the boat, there is an absolute guaranteed certainty that you're not going to walk on the water. So what are you going to do? And so I guess the question is, what's your boat? What is your boat? And I think the boat actually represents your safety and security apart from God. <coughs> your boat is whatever you're tempted to put your trust in um, when life gets stormy. So what's that comfort in your life? What is it that keeps you from joining Jesus on the waves? Uh, John Ortberg um, wrote a great book, uh, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And in it he says this, if you want to know what your boat is, then your fear will tell you. What is it that most produces fear in you? Especially when you think of leaving something and, and, and stepping out in faith. Is it your, is it your vocation? You know, maybe the, uh, you, wouldn't, you can't dream of leaving what you do as a career because that's where your, your security is, that's where your comfort is. Is it in a relationship? It could be in a relationship with, 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 with a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or your family. And in, fa in fact, I was talking to somebody yesterday who, uh, sorry, not yesterday, earlier this week, and they were talking about a friend that they had who's uh, had an over overbearing father and this, and this friend spent his life trying to please his father. And, and in the end, he could never live up to his father's expectations and he ended up taking his own life. What's your boat? It might be something you do in secret. It might be an addiction that you do that not many people know about. Maybe that's your security and your comfort and you're struggling to step away from that. Maybe it's success and riches. Maybe it's, it's wealth. Wealth is, 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 a, is a boat that a lot of people put their trust in. Um, in fact, we read again in the Gospels, Jesus is approached by a rich guy, a rich young guy, um, who says to him, what must I do, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Almost, um, it's almost a similar question to Peter's, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and Jesus asked him to get out of the boat. Jesus asked this rich young ruler to uh, sell all you've got, give it to the poor, come follow me. And <laughs> um, so Jesus tells the rich man uh, to come but the rich man he realised that his boat was too nice the, the comforts were speaking louder to him and the danger of the waves the danger of stepping away from his riches was just too much so the rich young ruler he missed his opportunity did he ever regret that? what story how did he tell that same story to his children or his grandchildren? You know, once I had this opportunity and I said, no, my boat yeah, was too comfortable. So, good. So, good. so what is your boat? Is there an area of your life that you shrink back from trusting God? 
And maybe you're somebody who's making that same question now. If it's you, Lord, tell me to come. Because you're just not sure. There's, 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 there's a call on your life and you're not sure if it's, if it's a ghost. If it's your own thoughts. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Maybe it's time to feel the fear and do it anyway. With God's grace, maybe we're about to discover a new adventure. My fourth question, my last question then is, do you have the courage to risk failure? Yeah, right. Can we have the courage to risk failure? Verse 29. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So now he doesn't have the time to say, Lord, if it's you, save me. No, it's, Lord, save me. It's like, it's, it's that instant. He's, he's kind of desperate now. Now he's, he, he needs to be convinced because he's in a, he's in a pickle. And um, so there's no time now to ask the question, Lord, if it's you, would you please, if you don't mind, if you're not doing anything else, save me. Okay, Peter is beginning to sink. And did Peter fail? No. Yes. No? Yeah, I mean, Jesus tells him, you know, you didn't have enough faith. Why did you doubt? Of you, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Um, he took his eyes off where they should have been for that second, and he sank. So there is a sense that, that he, he failed. He failed publicly. Um, and also notice that Jesus didn't calm the storm before he called Peter to come. He didn't say... Yes, come, but just hold on a minute. I'm just going to bring things down a few levels because obviously you don't want to be walking on a hurricane. It's hard enough walking on the water yourself without, with the wind blowing and without the waves going up. If you just wait there, give me five minutes, I'll bring this down, and then you can come. No, no, no. He calls him into the storm, into the wind, into the waves as they're going. And maybe you're waiting. Maybe you're waiting for the storm to subside before you step out. That's not how Jesus works. That's not how the kingdom works. We need to step out despite the storm. Um, but the other dis- disciples, they stayed in the boat. They did nothing wrong, really. They didn't do anything wrong, those are the other 11. But from my perspective, they suffered far bigger failures than Peter did. They failed privately. And that's easy to do. I know, I've done that. I'm sure you have too. I much prefer to fail when nobody's looking. Yeah? To not, to, to, to make a decision without letting other people know that's what you're doing. Because then if it doesn't work, nobody will ever know that you did it anyway. I've been there, I've done that so many times. And it's so much easier to fail privately than fail publicly. Yeah. Only Peter, out of the 12 disciples, in this instance, knew the shame of public failure. But also, only Peter out of the 12 knew two other things. Only Peter knew the, that glory of walking on the water. Yeah, he would never forget that. Yeah. He would never forget that. Would you? He would never forget that ever. The feel of the water, the movement of the waves under his feet. And I think he walked on the water twice. He walked on the water towards Jesus. And then it says, says Jesus reached out his hand. And, and the next thing he says, they got back into the boat. I can't imagine Jesus dragging him in the water. <laughs> you know, to get back in the boat. I know I'm surmising a little bit here, but as he reached out his hand, I imagine Peter just coming back up again and then walking together back to the boat. 
That just feels far more <laughs> Jesus-like to me. <laughs> so Peter knew the glory of walking on the water. He also knew, the second thing he knew, was firsthand uh, that knowledge of Jesus lifting him up and saving him in that moment of desperate need. So as he approached the second half of his life, these were two experiences, that feeling that he had for that, for that instant enough faith to walk on the water, and that experience of when he was most in need, Jesus was there. How awesome is that? What two great experiences. You can, you can accomplish so much having known those things. Is it a worse failure to sink in the waves having walked a few steps? Or is it worse to never have gotten out of that boat? Anyone who's ever accomplished anything great always fails so many times before they succeed. I could have gone into so many stories of um, great inventors and scientists and people who, who failed hundreds of times before they eventually succeeded in what they were trying to do. And, you know, there's so many quotes out there, but I thought I wouldn't do that. So we're in the end of our series of Strength and Courage. And I thought it'd be good, as this is the end of, at the end of uh, uh, this series, to try and sum up what have we learned over this series. And um, I've got a few kind of key lines. As I was making my notes throughout the series, there were some key lines that stood out. There were many more than this, but I thought, uh, for time's sake, I'll just list a few. And the first one actually came from Gary Rucci in the first week, um, when he reminded us that God always uses weak, flawed humans. He uses weak. He's not looking for the strong amongst us, the most successful. He always, invariably, picks people with weaknesses and people with flaws. What does, it, what does it say in scripture? His power is made perfect in, in our weakness. Yeah. His power. When we're weak, he is strong. strong. <coughs> Second thing, kingdom success is something Mark brought. Kingdom success is always a matter of faith. It's always about faith. It's always to do with, with stepping out and trusting. Um, according to your faith will it be done to you. According to your faith, according to the measure of faith. If you expect God to use you, he will. Again, Norman said a similar thing uh, today in the offering. If, if you're expecting God to do something, then that's more likely to happen. If you don't expect it, then it's less likely to, uh, to happen. What, what does Peter say? Tell me to come. Tell me to come. There's an expectation there. Again, Deborah brought a great message on the body. Every member of the body is crucial and needed. The call on your life as an individual is not just important to you, it's important to the whole body. Yeah. God's calling you and your, your purposes fitting everybody else's purposes that are part of this church. And it all kind of fits together like a jigsaw. So when you shy back, shy back and, and, and pull away from your calling, you're not just affecting you, you're affecting your brothers and sisters. Next thing. There is always a call. There is always a call. There isn't anybody here who doesn't have a call. There's nobody here who doesn't have a call. Everybody has a call on their life. God is calling everybody to different things. We all have different, we all have different um, trajectories. We all have different um, purposes and plans. But God, you can be rest assured, God's got a plan for you. And he's got a call on your life. And he's waiting for you to step out of the boat and take hold of that call. 
And actually, something else to do with that call. Uh, again, something Deborah said on, on another message. She said, uh, uh, maybe you don't know what your call is, but God often uses us where we're, where we're passionate and where we're competent. So where are you passionate? What, what, are you, what things are you passionate about? And where do your competencies lie? Because that's not there by accident. Okay? God has put those things in you, and they're often to do with your purposes and your call. There are always pressures associated with the call. I think this was Vlad, one of Vlad's messages. He talked about the pressures of people. Yeah? People, we know that a lot of pressures come from people, your, your family, the people you talk to. There's pressures from the past. The decisions and experience you've had in the past will affect how you respond to the call. And there's pressures from the present, that the, you know, the life you're living now, what you're doing with your life, the, the vocation, your, your, your current circumstances are a pressure to do with your call as well. God changes our destiny as we respond to his call. God changes that as we respond, as we step out the boat. You know, that's when God, God does things. And as they got back into the boat after they'd walked on water, that's when God calmed the storm. He said, at that moment, God, God brought the storm. And they all fell down and worshipped him. Truly you are the son of God, they said. As you respond, it's easier to steer a moving ship, they say. Once you respond, that's when God can start to manoeuvre. God always provides the strength that we need when we look to him in faith. God always provides the strength that we needed. Um, remember I spoke to you about Gideon, and, it, and God tells Gideon to go in the strength he has. Don't wait to have all the strength that you need. Um, God will provide the strength you need when you, need, uh, when you look to him in faith. And uh, the last thing... Um, we will almost or always certainly need to be courageous to live out the kingdom life that God is calling us to. Okay, starting next week then, we have this new theme. Uh, we saw it advertised last week. The theme is running with endurance, which follows on actually perfectly from what we've been looking at with strength and courage. And we're going to be looking at being inspired uh, by the Hebrews of faith listed in Hebrews 11. Um, and after this list of um, heroes uh, in Hebrews 11, I know Mark's going to uh, talk about this next week, I'm gonna spend, not going to spend any time of it. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So for the other 11 disciples who stayed in the boat, staying in the boat wasn't a sin. Okay, they didn't really do anything wrong as such. But the boat represented comfort and safety. It wasn't a sin, but it was a weight that slowed them down. It was the thing that hindered them from accomplishing and being all that God wanted them to be. Peter was willing to strip off that weight. Peter was willing to, um, it's not just about not sinning, it's about stripping off that weight. And Peter, keeping his eyes on Jesus until he didn't, keeping his eyes on Jesus um, he was able to walk on the water. So, are we fixing our eyes on Jesus? Are we ready to step out of the boat? Are we ready to leave the comfort of what we know and step into a life of challenge and adventure where fear will be present, but so will God's strength? And our courage will need to grow and we become more authentic disciples. And maybe... I want you to finish with a, um, 
with a response, actually, because it's the end of a series. I think it's, it's good to make a response. Um, and my response is, actually, for, for all of us, is to make a commitment to respond to the call that we've been given. Maybe you've got a call. Maybe you know what the call is. Uh, maybe you're at that moment uh, saying, Lord, if it's you, tell me to step out of the boat. And you're just trying to make sure before you step out. Maybe you're somebody who's in the storm at the moment and you're wondering uh, where Jesus is. Um, but at the same time, you know you've been obedient and you know he's with you and your presence is there. And, and I think it would be good as a church if we, if we make a response. And I guess if you're willing to, to make this prayer with me, just a, a prayer to commit to risk failure, to risk failure, to step out of the boat, risk sinking, having the knowledge that uh, Jesus is watching us, Jesus is there, his hand is out there, and we can trust in him, in, we can trust in his hand completely. I think we sang that today. Always you're with me, your hand will lift me, my trust is in your hands. That new song that we sung today, always you're with me, your hand will lift me, my trust is in your hand. So if you're prepared to make this um, prayer today, I'm going to make a prayer of um, commitment. I'd like you to stand with me now and as a church we will, we will make this commitment together. I don't want to miss it, right? Do you want to miss it? No, we don't want to miss this. We don't want to stay, be the people who stayed in the boat. Shagan, if you could just join me. We don't want to stay in that boat. So, Father God, Father God, we are so grateful that you're with us. We are so grateful that your eyes are on us, that your hand is reaching out to us, and you are saying, come. We're so grateful that you are passing by, Lord God. You're revealing your presence to us. And at the same time, you are giving us a call. You're giving us a call as individuals. You're giving us a call as a body to step out. And Lord, as we come to the end of this Strength and Courage series, I pray that what we have learned will not just be talk, but there will be power, Lord God. There will be faith action, God. There will be a stepping out. There will be a a, a chance for us to, to step out of the boat and walk on the water towards you, Lord God. As you call us to come, Lord God, you are standing there saying, come. And Father, we are committing ourselves to respond to the call and to come to you, Lord, wherever that leads, whatever discomforts, whatever challenges, because we know that in your will, we will have that better life, Lord God. We will have that life that uh, will accomplish much and will... And will um, bring honour to you, God, which is ultimately what we're about. Jesus, in your name, we pray and we make that commitment. Amen. <laughs>